Hello and welcome to episode 186 of What Most People Think. And my God, what a week for politics. Sturgeon, gone. Corbyn, gone. Sam Smith's stylist, gone. It's all, it's all been happening this week. It's all been happening. And, and I apologise that the podcast is going up uh, later than usual here. But in a way, that's a good thing because normally it would be up on Wednesday and I would have missed all these big political uh, developments. But I have been recently in and out of the country. Jesus Christ, I've been doing gigs in Europe and France, Amsterdam, Prague, Denmark for one day each. And then in between that, I've been away with the family in Zagreb. Coming home, This is I'm, I'm recording this Thursday night. And then tomorrow I'm on to Stockholm, then Helsinki. It's like fucking Eurovision in my life. Neil Poir, Neil Poir. Well, <clears throat> I've had some good gigs. Actually, I got stopped at Danish passport control on the way coming back out of Denmark. And um, and they looked at my, my um, passport and it had all these stamps in it where I was in a country for one day. And I thought, yeah, that, that does look fucking dodgy, actually. And I had a hold all. I mean, if any middle-aged man... With a hold all, you immediately look like I don't know. You got body parts, and <laughs> um, so we will get we will be getting to grip with the big political news uh, of this week. So you know Sturgeon going, uh, Corbyn Starmer finally saying that Corbyn won't be uh, standing at the next election. A bit of a thirty p Lee as he's called, uh, Lee Anderson, the new deputy chair of the Conservative Party. And we'll also be talking about a bit of Sam Smith, but uh, we will get into it first with the main talking point. By the way, if I sound a bit odd in this one, I'm recording it late at night, which I don't normally do, and I've been getting off on and off planes for the last two weeks. So I think, um, well, one, Greta Thunberg would not be happy with me, but also I'm probably I'm probably a vector of illness at the moment. I've, got, I've had several different colds. I probably sound a little bit different, so just just bear with me. But if there is a new deadly variant, uh, it's probably me that's been ferrying it around the ports of Europe. Um, the main talking point I mentioned last week about how the Dutch speak such good English, right? But there is this incredible ability in Northern Europe to not just speak English, but kind of um, get it, um, get it. <laughs> they, probably, they probably wouldn't ever say get it as bad as that. Uh, and David Domain, our super patron who picks up on talking points from the previous week's podcast, says that the reason the Dutch speak excellent English is because Dutch and Frisian, I think if it was, for us, for, uh, am I just being thick here? Frisian? Frisian? I thought that was just a cow, wasn't it? Eh? Uh, are the closest European languages to English. English has many cognate words with Dutch and Frisian via Old English, which are either written or spoken the same. Plus, there are numerous modern English words that have infiltrated Dutch and vice versa. Yacht and schooner and, well, double penetration. You know, remember the old videos? People used to bring back. Remember that? Anyway, um, new patrons, new patrons. There is a, there's a reason that this show is even happening. Oh, my God. I am. Apologies if I sound completely spaced out here. I don't know why I didn't think it would be such a weird leap to spend all day traveling with my family and then late at night in the UK just record a podcast. I, I've got a coffee on the go here, so hopefully you'll hear me warm up as the show goes on. Also, my son is asleep in the room upstairs. So I'm sort of trying to talk at normal volume, but keep volume, but keep it down as well. Uh, yeah, so the new Patreons. And just a reminder that this show, the reason that it it is weekly and ad free is because we have a patron community that support us all right um they are trust do you think 
for one second if this was just done on ad revenue that I wouldn't just fuck this off. Okay, I just stopped and actually necked the rest of my coffee. I hope that this is a hope. I'm not actually speaking like a Dutch person. I think I'm malfunctioning. I'm mal- I've done too many planes, too many trains, and now I'm speaking like uh, Steve McLaren when he did that weird press conference. Um, so that's how we fund the podcast. That's why there's a show this week. Um, if you want to join the Patreon community, go on Patreon, search Jeff Norcott, uh, what most people think. And bear in mind, uh, there are there are plenty of benefits, one of which is that there's a show in Leeds on the 2nd of March. So there are a number of patrons that have got free entry to that. Uh, there are general tickets available for that. And that is a working, that's, that's not even a work in progress show. This is a Jeff Norcott and Friends show because I'm literally going to have the notes out and stuff. So if you want to see me absolutely right rolling around in the shit. I mean, if you want to see the tour, then that that's uh, going to be in Leeds in the autumn at uh, City Varieties. But if you want to see the stuff that even my audience are going, eh, that feels a bit rough, Jeff, uh, then do come to that on the 2nd of March at the Wardrobe in Leeds. Uh, we've got a new VIP patron. So no, no, we've got a new board member, Gerard Hall. Gerard Hall, you just sound like... Do you remember where there was... Am I thinking of Sir John Hall? Do you remember where... Do you remember when football clubs were owned by rich British businessmen like Jack Walker? We used to think they were minted. It turns out they were fucking absolute, absolute mugs compared to the Saudis and the Qataris. But do you remember people like Jack Walker and Gerard Hall? Just be some old bastard that made his money in steel. You know, he was actually a fan of the club. And people used to hate them, didn't they? they used to hate, we used to think that we had it bad then. Suck the board, suck the board. He doesn't fucking understand this club, like. And then you know, you know, who does understand this club, the fucking Saudis. <laughs> yeah, what they understand is you want to win stuff. But welcome to the board, Gerard Horn. Of course, it is out in the open now that if you want to be a board member, you just upgrade to £20 a month. And there is a welcome present there, which is a hardback copy of my book with a signed inscription. So you just tell me your address and <laughs> that sounds like a fish's cat and I'll turn up and I'll write whatever you want. Just tell me what to wear. Um, and I'll do an inscription. I'll send that to you. So there's, I'm waiting on a few. There's been a few new board members. So I'm waiting until there's a little batch and I get your details. And if you have given me the info, just hang in there and um, your book will be coming soon. So a quick thank you. A quick thank you. I feel like I've missed something. This is fucking messy. Thank you for bearing with this. I promise you the politics chat will be good. Uh, i like to say thank you to Denmark. So I did... Well, just Copenhagen. Look, all the people that came to the gig. So I did a gig um, last Saturday at the, what was it called? The Bremen Theatre in Copenhagen. And they they all want you to call it Copenhagen. But you know when people get a bit funny about stuff, it just makes me want to say Copenhagen. Uh, And I met one of our super patrons there, Adam Lewis. It was nice to meet. uh, It was nice to meet a patron at the show. And the audience there were just, I mean, even more so than Amsterdam. I bet I would say like ninety seven percent of the stuff translated exactly like it normally would. There were a couple of weird things. Though. I was talking about weird nicknames, and there was a, a Danish teenager there. He was about fifteen, and I asked him what his nickname. He said he had a nickname, and he said his nickname was Voita. And I asked him what he what that meant, and he said it means disgusting dog or something. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fair enough. I said, who gave you that nickname? And he went, my dad, who was sitting next to him. So his dad called him a disgusting dog. Uh, the fuck you, just a quick fuck you, is to you too. 
Now, I've been a massive you. I don't think I've ever spoke about this on the podcast, which is weird given how much I spoke about cricket. But I'm a massive U2 fan, right? It's always annoyed me over the years that people think it's really trendy to dislike U2, where you go, but everyone dislikes, everyone slags off U2. And they seem to want credit for it. I find it really weird. It goes, your Bono's just a fucking tit. But they, I don't mind that they think that, but it's the fact that they seem to think that that is some sort of niche or contrarian opinion. And then there was that whole business when when you two put the album uh, on people's iPods and everyone acted like their own iPod was fucking sacrosanct and that they had nothing but wall-to-wall classic rock on there and somehow you 2 had polluted it. But anyway, that's not the point, right? So I've been a U2 fan for years. I've always loved the fact that the band have had an unchanged lineup. The best, Some of the best live shows. I know some people People always, you know, discuss the albums, but I think Pound for Pound, Joshua Tree and Acton Baby are up there with the greatest albums ever. And then they've announced this thing that they're going to do a residency in Vegas, but without Larry Mullen Jr., who's the drummer. And I just think one of U2's USPs, right, is that they've got an unbroken lineup. You get these other fucking bands, do you know what I mean, where they go, hey, we're back on tour, and we've got at least one of the original members, (laughs) one old fucker that can still... His, his knees will still take it, and the rest of the band, we got fucking Richie Barossa from the fucking lukewarm fucking Scotch Bonnets, and, and they have these composite lineups of these jobbing professionals, you know, journeyman musicians. So I never thought I'd have to say this, but U2 without Larry Mullen uh, is not U2. So they'll be doing this Las Vegas residency, and they're going to be playing all the songs from Acton Baby which is my favourite album. Oh, fuck it, I'll probably go. Okay, let's catch up on all the big political news of the... Well, I normally say of the last week, but it's probably... Most of it is from the last three days. Okay, so she's gone. Sturgeon. Wee nippy. Ding dong, the witch is dead. I mean, you know, or is this a tragedy? Depending on where you sit in Scottish politics, you'll have very different views on this. Although it must be said that there was quite a lot of celebration that uh, Nicola Sturgeon was going because she's been a formidable leader of the SNP, right? You know, you have to. There's been <laughs> there's been a lot of that this week. You know, when someone steps down, despite all disagreements, people always have to qualify, don't they? Despite all disagreements, and some of the people going, Do you, I don't think she knew who you were, mate. And you think was, was it out of nowhere? You know, there's been the recent rumpus over the uh, gender recognition where they've gone to basically self-ID can be something you do more or less immediately without medical intervention. And um, it has spotlighted the fact that some SNP ideology, right, has been, you know, quite far to the left of even a lot of their, a lot, probably most of their voter base. And that's what happens, isn't it? When somebody resigns, it's never the thing, is it? Boris didn't resign just because of Chris Pincher. But that was the... uh, that was the tipping point, right? This this issue is, I think, brought to a head the fact that the SNP have adopted this social justice sort of mandate. I don't know if it, if it was ever given to them. And and watching somebody who's such a supreme communicator as Nicola Sturgeon flapping around, I mean, honestly, flapping around like... Who, who's that Tory woman that was in for a while during COVID that Piers Morgan used to bully? Helen Whateley. She's flapping around like fucking Helen Whateley. All right, put it this way. Is your average Glaswegian indie supporter really sitting down the fucking, the saltire arms? <laughs> I don't know what pubs they go to. But they sit in there going, you know what I fucking, you know what I believe in? 
fucking independence and self-ID for a tiny fragment of the population. I think when push comes to shove, if you speak to some of those people, they will not disagree. I just, here's the thing. I don't think it's ever been that high up the list. So having big political battles over something that doesn't affect a lot of people and is a minority concern to a lot of people is particularly, is politically dangerous, right? And that's been the deal with the SNP for a while, is that you sort of vote SNP for independence and you get a whole whole lot of other stuff. I was mentioning this at the Edinburgh Fringe last year when I was taking the piss out of the SNP. The point I was making there was that it's a bit like the Sky Sports deal, isn't it? You know when you, just, you get Sky Sports, you go, I want the football and the cricket, right? So your average SNP support is going, I want independence. <laughs> but you have to have a bit of badminton. All right, you go, but I just want the football and the cricket. But, you know, it's part of the deal and you also have to have the fucking golf channel and we'll throw in this and we'll, we'll make it more expensive. But you look at the point, right? Let's just look at the point of the SNPs, the Scottish Nationalist Party. So the, the, the single reason that they exist is to gain independence for Scotland, right? So at this point, you've got a historically unpopular Tory government in Westminster. It's post-Brexit, you know, which the vast majority of Scotland didn't vote for. And the most importantly, I think, the economic situation is really bad. Now, at the moment, polling has been about 50-50, yes and no, and a recent, the recent move has been towards no. If you can't consistently, with those headwinds, get up to around 55 to 60%, then, then I think you've got to st- you step aside, because a lot of people are forgetting, right? We might think, you know, a lot of English folks think, fucking Nicholas, you're all going on about independence, you're fucking obsessed, you know what I mean? She's not... Indie enough for a lot of people in the SNP. And when I say indie enough, I don't mean like that she's like, you know, in a band and she's like, you know, wears leather jackets and fucking like skinny jeans. I wonder if there's been like some other factors which have maybe changed. One of which is that I guess post-Brexit, people have seen that it is hard to leave a union, right? Is that the, the promises made won't always be matched by outcomes. And the other thing as well is like, is when you look at devolution, one thing that COVID kind of showed was that there has been quite a lot of it. There were a lot of things that Nicola Sturgeon was able to do in Scotland that was different from the UK as a whole. And I wonder if people weren't, I don't know, there's something really visible about that. And she was, you know, she she took the opportunity to basically, what was the gag that I that I was doing at Edinburgh? The other one that wasn't working was that, oh yeah, when, when Nicola Sturgeon was reluctantly appearing in front of cameras every single day. Like it was like she was piloting a new chat show format. I mean, she did every day, midday with Nicola. She was like, it was like fucking a political version of Loose Women, wasn't it? She, she knew that her ratings would never be higher than that because all she needed to do was to be visible and whatever the UK government was saying, just just go a bit harder, you know. So if we're saying we're gonna have a a tier system, a three tier system, they're gonna have a four tier system, right? We're gonna lock down for three months. They're gonna lock down for three months and two days, and by that is that she's throwing a protective arm around Scotland. But in a weird way, once all that's receded, you know, you're left with the fact that she hasn't made much headway uh, on independence. And, and, And also, there's been a lot of devolution to Scotland, you know, since New Labour, right? And maybe... Maybe some Scott voters in Scotland, I don't know, email me if I'm, if I'm way off on this, what most people think, uk at gmail.com. Is it people who have kind of gone in Scotland? Y- yeah, that actually, this is now at the point where it's quite a good deal. We've, we've, you know, through 2014 and through various political arguments, we've actually got, we've actually got a decent deal from, from that Sky Sports, you know. <laughs>
<laughs> in that deal, we're just getting the football in the cricket. But, uh, you know, with this SMP deal, we're getting the football, the cricket, the women's basketball and the under-7s judo. The other, just a final thing here, and I hope that I'm making some form of sense, is that, that Sturgeon herself, she, I thought it was interesting, because she's not stupid, man. As much as you, you might find her, you know, aggravating and divisive, is that she, she's not, she knows, she always knew how to push those buttons, right? How to ramp it up and, and kind of rally people to the nationalist cause. And she said that she realised that she realises that she's become a divisive figure as well. And um, and that means she wouldn't just say that she wouldn't give a shit if if that meant with the Tories or with Labour. What she means is within her own party, right? And, and and there's certain things that have happened. If you look at what you know, have a look at what happened with Joanna Cherry, Joanne Cherry, in her party over trans rights and stuff. So I think what most people think about Nicola Sturgeon going is is it seems like a shock, but if you actually scratch beneath the surface, she's probably picked the right time. The only real question here is whether this shows us that that there's some fundamental difference between men and women in office. Because if you look at Jacinda Ardern, you know, look at Ruth Davidson, look at Nicola Sturgeon now. I was going to say Joe Swinson, but she, she left because she got fucking dicked in the general election. Um, that they just go, you know, they, they they pick a time and they go. And whereas, whereas people like Boris and various male world leaders will literally... You just see the, the the scrape marks of their fingernails on the desk because God knows being in power for men is evidently a different beast. I don't know if it unleashes some next level fucking morning glory erections that I have no concept of. <laughs> but they just don't want to let that stuff go, whereas female politicians do. So, so I think it's interesting. So you could either spin it one way. Have women got the grace to know when, the, when their time is up or, or, or have men got the fortitude to hang in there and ride out the storm. Okay, so on the same day that Nicola was telling us she was off, um, we found out that Keir Starmer finally came out and ended the speculation by saying that, um, that Jeremy Corbyn will not be the candidate for Labour in Islington, Islington North. How many Islingtons are there? You get the impression that Labour have got a lot of Islingtons. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Islington North just feels like a, another name by which you could call the Labour Party, right? Um, but he, he said, right, Corbyn's not going to stand. And he uses it as an opportunity to remind us that he's not having it. The anti-Semitism, not having all of that, not having Corbyn. I mean, you know, I mean, you could say that... Uh, well, I mean, when Keir Starmer finds out what Keir Starmer supported not long ago, Keir Starmer is going to be absolutely furious. Because uh, he tried to make the guy prime minister, but that that doesn't matter because that was Keir Starmer then. You see, that was a long, long four years time ago. Whereas Keir Starmer now, he's kind of like you know, he's a centrist guy. Back then he was left wing, but you got to understand, four years when you're in your late fifties is a very long time for Keir Starmer. <laughs> he is he's incredible, man. Three years ago he was even even in the leadership election race he was saying the exact opposite of what he was saying, to the point where he's almost like Shaggy, saying it wasn't me. <laughs> I like Jeremy Corbyn, it wasn't me. Rejoining the single market, it wasn't me. <laughs> Going to renationalise utilities, it wasn't me. He's just, it's, it's an incredible rebranding, right? And you have to wonder about the cynicism of it. The speed at which it's happened. 
I mean, you look at the Labour Party in 97, that was a long change of direction by people that actually felt that this was the right way for the Labour Party to be pointed. Not just to win, but because it was the right thing to do. Whereas Corbyn, sorry, Starmer rather, has just gone, right, what the fuck is it going to take to win a fucking election? <laughs> you go, right, what is it? Okay, d- distance ourselves from trans stuff. Yep, Corbyn, yep, unions, fuck them. <laughs> I mean, how can you take it seriously, right? Now, it's not to say that Jeremy Corbyn, with how he turned a blind eye, you know, wasn't active enough in dealing with anti-Semitism in his party. Maybe, maybe this should have happened before now. But it's just, it's not what Starmer's saying now. It's what he's said before. And it's strange for me, you know. It's strange because, I, you know, a lot of the things that Labour are doing there are effectively things that I said they should do in my book. I've had some people say to me, you know, my book was called Where Did I Go Right? How the Left Lost Me. I've had some some people, a couple in my industry, sort of come up to me and go, I guess you feel, you know, quite quite embarrassed about that now. I go, what, if you read my book... Pretty much everything is what I was saying. Every directional shift that I was suggesting Labour Party should be doing is more or less what they're doing now. So it's all stuff that I think is the right thing to do. It's just the speed that it's happened. That's what gives me gives me the willies, you know? Is it a case? Has Keir Starmer fundamentally changed his politics within three years? Or is this Labour just going, look, fuck it, put a wig on it? <laughs> what does, you know, it's just like, just find out what Middle England likes. You know, what's your what's your sexual preferences? Okay, we'll be that. Yeah, I'll put on a wig. Yeah, I'll wear a, I'll wear the Princess Leia slave outfit. Hey, I mean, <laughs> just do whatever it takes. What happens with old dear Magic Grandpa Corbyn? Is he gonna, is he gonna, is he gonna start his own movement? I think I made a prediction two years ago that there would be a Jeremy Corbyn party, and I think we're closer to that than than ever now. Because there are a bunch of people that just have always thought that dear Jeremy, magic grandpa, always on the right side of history, apart from all the times he wasn't. You know, even when he was present for the laying of a reef at the, for some terrorists, he was on the right side of the wrong side of it. They just like, he wasn't always on the right side of history. He just wasn't. But they need to believe in him. They need to believe in him. And that's the problem. The only negative about this is it does seem like Starmer is sort of routing the left of his party now. There's one thing taking on the left, but now it's almost like he seems to be savouring it. And and there's a limit where, I don't know what that percentage of the Labour Party voters are hard left. I mean, certainly Twitter maybe is is sort of uh, misleading in this, this respect. Is there only so much they can take? Because what might happen is when the local elections come around in May, I think the Tories will still do demonstrably badly, Labour might not do as well as they should, if you get my drift. You might get some of these people, you know, they they like wearing their badges, their CND badges and their fucking Greta badges. And they want to feel that they stand for something. And, and so they may, at the local elections, drift off towards the Lib Dems, drift off towards the Greens, or, or just not vote at all. I do think that when a, a general election comes around, the the... The possibility of giving a blood, you know, getting the Tories out of office, they'll just vote Labour. Fucking, it doesn't matter what Keir Starmer's doing at that point. He could be fucking goose stepping, <laughs> wearing fucking Hugo Boss clothes. You know what I mean? Just, um, they, they won't care at that point because they just want the Tories out. But I do think that they, 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 there's perhaps a tipping point with the left. And I do wonder what somebody like Angela Rayner, you know, what she thinking about this? Like, well, I can't stand on the fucking picket lines, and now you're fucking. Putting fucking boot in on fucking Corbyn. Well, are you going to take that? Are you gonna, at what point does she think I am now? 
I'm now like Keir Starmer was under Corbyn. I think that there might be bumps along the road there, but I think mostly the people at the very heart of the Labour operation now, they've got their head around the dark arts thing. They just want to win power at all, at all costs. So if that means putting on a fucking leather skirt and a wig, then they'll do it. How am I doing here, guys? Am I making any fucking sense at all? What was it? It's now quarter to 11 on Thursday night, and I'm still going. I'm still going. I might need to do another shot of espresso or another fucking shot of meth, but I'll keep going. Um, 30p Lee. Let's just have a quick chat about Lee Anderson. So this has been a thing that's been happening ever since the reshuffle. And I don't think I've spoke directly about this, but I thought that Lee Anderson being made deputy chairman. I was surprised by it, and initially I thought it was a terrible appointment. I mean, 30p Lee it is a funny nickname. I'll, uh, I'll call him not my cup of tea, Lee. It's just not, you know, not the kind of politician I generally favour. But I have to say that nothing that this man thinks is that radical if you look in the real world, right? If you're in the real world and you're sitting at fucking Weatherspoons and old old 30p Lee's there and he's sitting there going, you know, people people, uh, live on 30 grand a year, she'll fucking need food banks. You know, you go, yeah, yeah, you go, yeah, yeah. You know, a fucking death penalty for people who commit multiple murders. That should be a thing. You go, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure what you... But none of it would strike you as, like, fascistic or, like, seriously far right. You know, they're just populist sentiments, I suppose, a little bit reactionary. I don't personally think... You know, I totally understand the impulse to want to bring back the death penalty for some of the most heinous... Murders, right? I just don't... I, personally, I don't think it's realistic at this point in time. It's one of those things... It's like smacking kids at school, isn't it? It's like, once you've taken that away, what, at what point do you bring it back? Do you know what I mean? At what point do you go, right, everyone that did a murder after the 31st of January, you know, like, when you have new tax rules, you know? And, they, and then when you need some government campaign going, uh, if you are going to murder somebody, just make sure you do it before the 31st of January. Um... So I, I just don't get how you do it, how you bring it back, at which point. Um, and I also think, that you know, how, how are you going to get people to be state-sponsored killers when we can't even... Um, we can't even get people to pick strawberries for, like, 15 quid an hour. I don't know. What kind of salary are you going to need to pay? I mean, fucking hell, if you look at some of the salaries that diversity officers are on, I, I have no idea what level of remuneration uh, this would need. But the reason that the left have really latched on to, to Lee is because that they need a bogeyman, don't they? They need a bogeyman. They say that they hate him. But they always need to tell you who they are. There's a certain kind of person. I'm saying the left. I mean, there's a certain kind of person on the left that really what they... Being of the left for them is a way of feeling good. So it's not good enough, you know... You can't just have God, right? That's what religion realised after a while. You've got to go, just having God, it feels a bit one-dimensional. Ah, Satan. And, you know, as far as 30p Lee goes, I, I must there is a negative side of me that does enjoy it. It's been a while, isn't it? Since Boris has gone, since Trump has gone, it has been a while since you've seen a character that could just fucking get in there and just wind him up. And I know I, know I should be more involved than this by now. You know what he's like? He's like one of those viral bits of marketing. You know, in like a like a company just wants some free advertisers, they just they'll just do something. You know, they're basically basically a bit like Sam Smith. They'll do something provocative, and then we'll all share it and go, "Look at this fucking bullshit!" And then you know, sales of uh, Colgate go up. You know, because Colgate did an advert where there was a household with four mums bringing up two fucking I don't know goats as children. I don't know. <laughs> Look, it's late, but 
And then we all get outraged. But at the end of the day, we're all talking about Colgate. So this is what happens with someone like Lee Anderson. He just mentions one opinion. And then the left will share this stuff to death. And a lot of people just seeing that might go, oh, I didn't realise that people on the left thought that supporting the death penalty was akin to being a Nazi. <laughs> so you just got to be careful. If you're, That's what I'm saying. If you're off the left, just be careful. If you want to make Lee Anderson into... If I was you, this would be my strategy. Is just don't, don't even talk about him. Because that's why he's there. He's there like a fucking hate sponge. All right? And, and you notice that since he got that job, people are talking a lot less about Rishi Sunak and people at the heart of government. So... So, so why am I giving the left advice? You know what? Fuck it. Get annoyed about Lee Anderson. Do what you want. Okay, I am getting through this podcast. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I'm getting through it. And we've got some more new patrons here. We have got... Oh, I didn't mention earlier. So we did Gerard Hall. Caroline Dupre. Caroline Dupre. She sounds like um, the lead character in a bit of chick lit. Are you allowed to call it? You're allowed to call it that anymore? No, it's just just fiction, Jeff. Just call it fiction. But we all know what chiclet is as a genre. Caroline Dupre, she'd be one of those women that was just trying to find herself, you know? Trying to find herself. She's in a loveless marriage in her mid-40s. This would be a classic thing now. Gets divorced, goes to live in Italy, and just starts banging some 28-year-old guys. Have you noticed how many films, by the way have now done the absolute flip of what pervy male writers used to do, where they just write a story where a guy would just fall in love with some some nubile muse. There's loads of stuff like that now, where just, just middle-aged women are just banging ripped 28-year-old men. That's what would happen to Caroline Dupre. She'd be, she'd be, she'd go off to Italy and she'd find herself. And by finding herself, it means that she'd just find herself some thunderous orgasms. <laughs> Uh, we've also got new patron Steph Harvey Steph Harvey do you know Steph Harvey Steph Harvey sounds like a very dependable woman working in EHR in the North East Steph Harvey will help you no she's ever no Steph Harvey's ever so good just you go to her with a problem and she will fucking sort it uh, we've got Joe White Joe White there's only one Joe White Joe White just sounds like the classic footballer that came through the youth academy <laughs> who's one of our own He's one, you see that Joe White, he's one of our right, and then he fucks off to Chelsea, fuck you Joe White, fuck you, uh, and then we got Rob York, Rob York, I don't know, that just sounds a bit fishy that name, Rob York, Rob York, Are you hiding from the CSA Rob, hey, you went on the run in the 90s, went out to live in Indonesia, now you're back in the UK under the assumed name of Rob York. And I bet your name's not even that different from that, is it? It's probably like Rob Chester. So an announcement I should have done at the top of the show, but hey, this one's a bit chaotic. Uh, I will be doing the Edinburgh Fringe again this year. I'll be there from the 14th to the 28th. I'll be back in the Frisian Room at the Underbelly, which only holds 120. So if you do definitely want to come, all of those dates sold out for the last run. Um, so if you want, if there's a particular date you want to come, I would advise you, if you come into the Fringe, get online. And if you've got enough money to actually come to the Fringe, I mean, fuck me, the accommodation there is ridiculous. Just just fucking get leverage, man. Get a mortgage, you know. Get on wonga.com. Just do it. <laughs> Rob a fucking bank. Uh, because it costs a bit to be up there. Um, but get those tickets now. And of course, Basic Bloke, my tour, which starts in the autumn, UK tour, uh, is on sale now. It's selling very well. It's re- you know I'm going to some new places um, that I'd love to see you at. Wickham, going to High Wickham, Dundee, Belfast, Leeds, Halifax, Peterborough. Peterborough was one. When it first went on sale, 
as for some reason you had to call the venue to book the tickets like it was fucking 1998 um but if you did originally look then do go back because there's plenty of tickets available for peterborough uh cardiff exeter we're going back to northcott theater stockton going there in the fucking northeast gonna see steph harvey see steph harvey She'll, where's that accent going, Jeff? Uh, Cambridge, I'm doing first ever tour uh, tour date at the Cambridge, I'm going to say Corn Exchange, I don't know, oh, The Junction, that's what it's called. If, if in doubt, just say Corn Exchange. Uh, we're going to Salisbury, Middlesbrough, fucking absolutely hammering the northeast there. So I'll hopefully see you out and about there. All right, I'm, I probably need to wrap this up. So let's have a quick chat about Sam Smith. <laughs> Now, I'll say this about Sam Smith. If he is just doing this to amuse himself, then fair play. Fair play. Because, I mean, he's just winding up people left, right. If he's just a wind-up merchant, then fair fucks to him. Because he did his pop video. I didn't really mention his pop video because there was a lot of talk about him it being a bit gross, right? And I'll be honest, his video did gross me out. It, it was a bit gross. I think that was the point. There was one... There was one bit where it looked like someone was essentially pissing in his face. I think he maybe he kind of is okay with that controversy. I think if you've got a video where you've got your man tits out, I think there's a part of you that's aware and it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, but yeah, it, it did gross me out a bit. And maybe that's because I'm, you know, fucking physically normative. And if that means I want pop stars to be good looking, then yeah movie stars to be good looking yeah i do not want to see people look like me i see man tits every day okay when i when i'm in the shower i look down I try to convince myself that it's pectoral bulge but it's, they're just tits jeff and then on the one show um they were asking him about another job that he could have been if he wasn't a pop star and he was um he was said he would like to have fished for a living and then i think alex jones from the one show said oh you'd, you'd have been a been a fisherman would you and he goes, uh, yeah, I would have been a fisher them. <laughs> I mean, that is genius. If I was, you know, like sometimes now people characterise right-wing comedy and some of the perhaps comedic cliches that it potentially could fall into. I would, if I wrote, if I wrote fisher them as a joke, I'd think, nah, it's a bit too on the nose. Do you know what I mean? That's a bit cliche, Jeff. Fisher them. I'm going to be a fisher them. You can't say fisher man. You could just fish. I mean, the pro- this is the thing, right? I think most of us, when it comes to the I identify as a man and a woman, there's a part of us that goes, all right, I can understand that you might have been born and your biological sex is one thing and you might feel like you're more male or female, you know, as much as you might not, some people might not think that qualifies you as being male or female. We sort of understand the feeling. The problem with the they thing is the fucking words. It just, it's just not a good enough word, is it? To say they... It doesn't make sense when you talk about a singular person to say they. It just doesn't work. You need a better word. You need man just, you know, I guess there's a reason why I've had man and woman for a while because it, it, it's quite a neat way of, um, well, describing what we are. I mean, if you think about, like, great, great songs from the past, like, you know, when a man loves a woman, I think that works. If you said you, that could even work as, you know, when a man loves a man, can't keep his man or nothing, you know, all that stuff. You could do the same. When a woman loves a woman. But if you said, when a they loves a they, can't keep their mind on nothing else. When they is sad. <laughs> doesn't work. It doesn't work. But look, this is the point, isn't it? He's caught in controversy. It's the oldest thing in the book. He's a pop star who's doing things 
that piss people off. And I was just saying one thing, is that doing stuff that pisses off the gammons, so to speak, isn't the same as it being good art, right? That's all I'll say. But when he arrives at the Brits in that weird inflatable fucking black PVC outfit, I think maybe Sam Smith has kind of factored in either he's drunk the Kool-Aid so much that he's, 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 he's out like in his inflatable outfit floating just somewhere in orbit around planet Earth or he's playing the game like many pop stars before him. So, so you know, if you're into Sam Smith, don't get surprised when people buy it because I think people, I think he wants people to buy it. You know, I've seen his video. I think he's well up for a bit of biting. And and I would I would put forward as a bit of evidence that he definitely is up for a bit of backlash. That one of his his biggest songs of the last five years is called "I Didn't Come Here to Make Friends." Okay, just one quick glitter and we're out. I mean, I was supposed to do this quickly because. If I mentioned I'm tired, God, that is one thing that you don't want. No one ever wants to hear that anybody else is tired or ill or busy. Those are the three things in life. Because whatever, however tired, ill or busy they say they are, you go, not compared to me, you know. Um, he's got one letter here. Um, this is from Malcolm. It says, hi, Jeff. I wonder if it's time to dust off the PC Savage sketch from the Not the Nine O'Clock News program and do a similar thing with the allegations against Dominic Raab. Uh, I don't know what sketch you mean, but it does give me an opportunity to talk about Dominic Raab, who I can absolutely credit is a complete dick to work with. But the alle- I tell you what, if the civil service, if the, if you've got some specific allegations, then fucking say them. Because the stuff that's been leaked so far, if that's you dipping your toe in the water, I don't think you've got a case. If your case is Dominic Raab is a dick, I think it's an open and shut case. <laughs> I think I think I would do that just based on that clip of him watching Sunak speak to Starmer. But all this stuff about, oh, he could be really cold, be really cold. What are you talking about? Your dad or something? What? It sounds like, these sound like daddy issues. These don't sound like a legitimate reason. And sometimes he, sa- he said, oh, for fuck's sake, Wants to a junior aide. Oh God! I mean, this is the problem again. In a way, it's a bit like the Lee Anderson thing. If you if you talk about somebody who's working in a senior position, a high pressure position, occasionally swearing in and around the people that he works with, I don't think people are going to be clutching their pearls. So I think it is time for the civil service to maybe consider a lesser charge against Dominic Raab of simply being a bit of a tool. All right, that's it for this week. We'll be back with a guest interview next week. I hope you have a fantastic week. And let's have a minute's silence for the end of the political career of Nicola Sturgeon. All right, that's enough. (laughs) 